Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Well, happy Sunday, everyone. We're finishing up our Back to Basics series. We're going through the first four chapters of the Science of Mind textbook, kind of doing a little bit of a refresh, a little remembrance of how this whole science of mind thing works. And uh, let me give you just the briefest of recaps. Week one, we learned that God was all there is and no exceptions, which led to week two, which meant that we don't, we don't get to be an exception either. We're, we're right in the middle of God, created out of that same God stuff. And so uh, when, when we somehow think of God as like the guy in the sky with the clouds and, you know, no, no, we, we, we X that out. Because <laughs> really if God is everywhere present, including ourselves, it means that God is right here. God is internal to us as well as external to us. And then last week what we learned was the way God works. The idea being that God actually uses our thoughts and our beliefs to co-create with us our experience of the world. So God is everything, that includes me. God is uh, reacting, God is creating out of our thoughts and our beliefs. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about how to proactively use this force, the word that they were talking about, in fact, in the gospel song that they sung, the idea of the word being powerful. What is that word? It is our conscious beliefs, our conscious thoughts that, that God will react to helping to create our world in its image. I'm gonna start today with a, a quote from this chapter, how it starts. Wait a minute. There we are. By thinking correctly and by a conscious mental use of the law of mind, we can cause it to do definite things for us and through us. By conscious thinking, we give conscious direction to it, and it consciously or unconsciously responds to our advance along the lines of our consciousness or direction. It must and it will respond to everyone because it is a law of mind. It's no respecter of persons. We are surrounded by an intelligent force and substance from which all things come. It is around us and willing to take form through the impulse of our own creative beliefs. Well, as you can imagine, this is kind of a good news and a bad news situation, right? And in fact, one of the ways that I'd like you to consider for a moment is that, of course, this law of mind, this power of your word, has already been working through your entire life. It's not like you came in that door one Sunday and suddenly someone flipped the switch. Oh, now the law of mind applies to Larry. And so when you look around at your world for all the good bits, all the uncomfortable bits, all the, the great pieces of it, all the wonderful relationships, as well as all of the things that don't seem to be going so well, all of it is an expression of your thoughts and your ideas and your beliefs up until now. So, of course, it's a good news and a bad news situation, right? We've always had desperate thoughts. Why wouldn't we have had desperate days to go with them? We've always had lingering doubts about ourselves and our family, about relationships or our jobs. So, 
So naturally, I think, we have had experiences like that in our lives. And the degree to which we perhaps have been thinking on the more positive side of things, well, the law has a way then of showing us the more positive side of life. And the degree to which we have dealt in the, the negative side of things, the law has a way of introducing us to that more negative side of life as well. So that's the way it works. How can we be more conscious about it? How can we begin actually using this as a, as a tool in a conscious way? Our, our connection to God, our own ability to be expressive in the world, how can we do that? How can we work that so that our lives get better? Well, I'm sending you home with a cheat sheet today. I don't notice if, if you noticed in your program, there is a list of spiritual tools and practices for changing your mind. Because really, and, and I know Sharon says this every Sunday, we ought to listen to her once in a while, but, but when she says, if you change your thinking, you will change your life, these are some of the tools and practices that we teach right here at the center in classes and workshops and even on Sunday. These are some of the tools that do what? They simply allow us to change our thinking. It, it really isn't any more complicated or, or I guess any easier either than we can actually change our thoughts and our beliefs about how things work in the world and we will benefit from it. But I wanna start off before we start talking about those tools at all or, or moving forward, I wanna talk just a moment about our own motivation. I wanna talk for a moment about what it is we really want to experience in life. Because I think here is a fundamental stumbling block to us. I think most of us don't actually have much of a clue about what we want in life. And this week I'm calling this tendency the McDonald's fries syndrome. Let, let me explain. I was just horrified to put, I'm a vegetarian. I was just horrified to find out that McDonald's fries have meat in them. Man, yeah, well, okay, there, uh, at least one other person is justifiably outraged. Yes, they actually put, Part, part of the process of producing the McDonald's fries, they actually go through a, a bath that has meat products in them. And so there's meat in McDonald's fries. I think we spend almost all of our time talking about the things that we want to avoid and we don't want to experience. For me, this week it was the McDonald's fry. And sadly, sadly, if you followed me around throughout the week, here I am, a minister of, of metaphysics, right? And what did I do all week? It was like, did you hear about McDonald's fries? Do you know they're putting meat in those things? It's like, what are they thinking? Why would a corporation do this to me, right? It's like in this small way, I was such a victim this week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And my observation is it's almost a little addiction that we Americans have to gossiping about what we don't want to experience. My boss is horrible. My, my job is so demeaning. My, my, my daughter will, you know, never pass that test. My, you know, the max line isn't safe. And I mean, I, I could go on for hours about the things I heard from people this week about, their thing, about the things in their life that aren't going well. 
It was like a litany, like, a, like an enumeration of all of the faults of the universe bearing down on every single person. I ta- and, and I swear we're addicted to it. So where in all this do we affirm what it is we do want to experience. If truly God is here to to help us on this path of of having a good life, of of enjoying our our, our friends and family, of of seeking out the the goodness and the sweetness of life, the the life that we want to live and the, the best version of ourselves living in that life, don't we have to have a picture of what it might look like? See, I worry. We could use all these tools that we're going to be talking about today a little bit, and will it make us any happier at the end of the day, or will we just be creating more things to complain about? This is my fear, and that's why I wanted to start here today. I think it's time for us to start gossiping about what we do want to experience. So I was trying to switch this McDonald's for, I'll let go of McDonald's in a minute, I swear I will. But I, was, but I wanted to, okay, Larry, you got trapped in this yourself this week. How do I reverse that? What I really need to do is what? I need to start gossiping about how I can get good, nutritious, healthy, vegetarian food out on the run. And do you know what? As soon as I started doing that, people started telling me all of the great places in town where I could get good vegetarian food on the run. Do you see? It's like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) So it isn't so much that we don't know how to do this. It's making that switch in our mind. It's taking the time to notice that what we're doing and what we're thinking and what we're believing perhaps is not in our own best interest. And to actively and consciously choose to begin thinking and talking and acting in different ways that are more apt to bring us something that's positive, that are more apt to fill out that template of how we want to be and how our life could be, and and how I could be. Okay, now on to the tools a little bit. But first, I I just want to tell you, you you know, if you're, you're, let's say what you think you want to experience in life is maybe a great new job, but you still keep on with the idea of work is terrible, and and I'm not going to enjoy this, and and you know what's going to happen? You'll have a new job, and you'll be just as miserable in it. Right? So, so again, what is it that you want to experience? And very often, it isn't going to be a tangible thing on the outside, or at least let's not start there. Because I bet we have all known people who were very rich that were very unhappy. I bet we've all known people that have had what, at least to us, looked like the perfect job, and they were unhappy. We have all known people that have had a great house or a great car or whatever it is, and somehow the thing didn't really do the trick. It wasn't about the thing. It was about how they felt about it. It wasn't about the object or the way of being so much. It was our reaction to it. So let us begin painting that picture of what we want, and not just in terms of the stuff of life, but also painting the picture of how we feel about life, how we feel about ourselves, about how we exist in this improved life. That is where we start then, I think, making a difference. I'm going to tell you a short joke that maybe 
uh, clarifying at this point. <laughs> so John was the eternal optimist. He always looked on the bright side of things. If something bad happened, he could almost always find something positive to say about it. And if he couldn't think of anything good, he would just say, well, it might be worse. So one day, a friend said to John, I have something to tell you, and you know what? You're not going to be able to find anything positive to say about it. It really is the worst. I dreamt last night that I died and I went to hell. There were flames, brimstone, the whole nine yards, constant excruciating pain. Well, it might be worse, said John. His friend came unglued. Are you crazy? How could it be worse than that? To which John replied, it might be true. <laughs> We have to start where we are, and we have to take ownership for where we are, whether it's heaven or whether it's hell, whether it's a, a life that is pretty much decent and good and whole and what you want, or if it's maybe a little rough right now, if, if things are not going the way you want and you're having trouble in a relationship or a job, we have to take ownership for it. Because, in a sense, we, with God, have created it. And if we don't believe that we've created what we have right now, why would we believe that through changing our thinking we can create something new? Do you see what I mean? The, the troublesome thing about this victimhood thing is once you get into the role of the universe is doing things to me, it's completely out of my control. I have no hope. There's no, no part of me in this, right? The car accident just happened, didn't have anything to do with me, didn't have anything to do with the way I maintain the car or my kind of sloppy driving. or <laughs> It didn't have anything to do with me. It was a perfect chance. Well, the trouble with that is then why would we expect to be able to have any kind of a metaphysical influence on our lives? Why would we expect that then changing the way we are in the world will actually change our lives? So for my part, whether I take ownership for a mess, and some days, yes, even my life can look like a mess, whether I take ownership of that or whether I take ownership of a day that has gone swimmingly well, I do so, I take ownership for it, because what I know is that means I can take ownership for something better. The worst mess I can make is simply evidence of my power. <laughs> now, think of it that way, if you will. Have you ever had one of those days when you just felt like you should have stayed home in bed? Right? As everybody, like the more you do, the behinder you get, the kinder you are to other people, you know, the worse things get. We've all had one of those days. That's you being powerful. It's okay. Days like that will come. And if we take ownership for them, even as we take ownership for the good days, even as we take ownership really for our whole life, then we can move forward in knowing that God has our back. Knowing that as I take ownership for my view of the world as being good, as being loving, as my own life being a, a, a life of utility and joy, then the universe says yes to that. I get to experience more of that. And I have some faith. The same faith that I caused that mess with, I can cause something to have happen that is beautiful, and loving and joyous.
All right, back to the handout for just a, se a, a second here. Um, you know, sometimes people will come up to me and say, well, Larry, okay, so, so how do I really make some progress here? Should, should I do some meditation? Should I do some affirmative prayer? Should I, should I you know, read from scripture? Um, you know, some kind of, what, what, you know, here's this, here's like a little cafeteria list that's in your program. Some of you might be going, well, okay, is it three from column one and, and uh, four from column two? And I got to tell you, I don't have an answer for it. If you think about some of the greatest uh, spiritual masters on the planet, uh, Jesus, the, the Buddha, Lao Tzu, you will discover that they didn't actually have that good of advice for their disciples to become enlightened. The reason isn't that any, any of the, let me borrow your hand out here for just a sec. The, the reason isn't that all of these won't help you on a path towards self-knowledge and towards a greater connection to God. The trouble is I can't predict which ones of them will work the best for you. Really, only you can. And so for me to just say, well, you know, really, uh, uh, in fact, the Buddha used to do this, so I'm really going easy on you. The Buddha used to say, I think maybe 12 years in silence is the recipe. <laughs> oh, and by the way, leave all of your worldly possessions here at the, at the entrance to the ashram, if you would. They're really just a distraction. <laughs> so, so, what, so what I know is, though, that these are the right tools. I'm just not very predictive at what will work exactly for you. But I do know that they will work. I do know that any of them will get you closer to your inner wisdom self, to your ability to, to follow your, to, your intuition in, in, in a more uh, proactive way. I do know that all of these have health benefits, have metaphysical outlooks that can, can move you into changing your mind. But there has to be a willingness and an interest for you to actually do so. Our lives have a, both a wonderful and a terrible kind of inertia to them. The wonderful part of it is when, you, when things seem to be going well, you're kind of coasting, and that's the inertia that's kind of buoying you up, and it's easy for your thoughts to remain high, and it's easy for your sense of the world to be optimistic, and, and that same inertia can send you a little bit in a spiral the other way, can't it? If, you, if a few bad things happen, you tend to think, oh my gosh, you know, my life isn't quite what I thought it was, and maybe I'm not either, and those thoughts can recycle around and bring you more the same. We have to actually want to improve our lives to experience that. And it has to be more than just a wishful hopeful. Does everybody know what a wishful hopeful is? Those are the thoughts that kind of idly, do any of you take naps on Sunday afternoon? <laughs> a big, uh, I'm telling you right now, when I get home on Sunday afternoon, especially if the weather is warm, I love to sit in a chair and take a nap. And the wishful hopefuls are those little thoughts that float in like, if I had a million dollars, you know, of course, I'd, buy, I'd pay the mortgage off on the church first, but then, <laughs> but then, you know, here's this list of fun things I do. Those, unfortunately, are no more powerful thoughts than, than just like a bird flying through the sky. They come in and they go out. 
we have to actually have a commitment, a true desire to see our lives change and to be willing to devote some actual time and energy, sometimes even money, to take classes, to spend time in meditation, to, to buy good books and read through them, to maybe participate in a book study club or whatever it is, whatever it is, it has to be more than an idle thought. It has to be more than just, well, I wish I could get closer to God. Or I wish I was more at peace with the people living in my own household. Or I wish that my job went smoother and I felt more well used in it. Those are just the wishful hopefuls. And until we're actually committed, until we are willing to do sort of whatever it takes in a way, we're not apt to see the use of this law come to a good fruition. When it does come to good fruition, though, I will tell you, it can happen in a couple different ways that I'm going to share with you. One of them, I think, is just the revolution. And, and you might think of it as, uh, as your mind switching on a dime. Have you ever had something happen to you that changed your whole way of thinking about that particular thing in an instant? Let me, let me give you an example. So most of you know that I've been in a 12-step program for about 25 years now, clean and sober. Thank you very much. And, uh, and when I went through that, at the first, I was living with my partner at the time who had decided that wasn't quite ready for him yet. So here I was, clean and sober, coming home to not so clean and sober. And I still remember the day that I pulled up in my driveway and there was a police car there. And they were towing away his car, never to return. And the man said, well, do you have a key to the house? We were just getting ready to break in. And I'm like, why are you breaking into my house? Well, we're a little concerned. See there, you can kind of see through the window here, just a leg laying on the floor. And we want to make sure that he's just a drunk and not dead. And so we went in, and of course, he was fine. He was literally dead drunk on the kitchen floor. But in that instant, and I don't know if it was the heightened, you know, the blue lights going around from the police car or, you know, seeing a car that I had mostly paid for on its way out or, you know, I don't know what it was exactly, but I will tell you, in an instant, I had a revelation, and the revelation is I can't make people do anything. It wasn't for lack of love. It wasn't for lack of my trying. It wasn't for lack of paying money to, to have you know, my partner go through a detox situation. It wasn't for lack of anything. And of course, I knew that in a way. But in that instant, I so knew it. I so knew that the only influence I have on the world is through the changes I make in myself. And it was like, never look back. That was one of those moments where in that instant, my mind changed so permanent. I mean, I immediately started thinking about my other relationships. Am I doing this with other people? And oh my gosh, I was. I had all kinds of what I think of as, a, as relationships where we were nurturing each other's pain rather than, than really being loving friends. There were all kinds of places where my love was conditional. You know, I'll, I'll love you if you do this and you love me if I behave that way. And oh my gosh, turned all my relationships on, on their ear and they all got amazingly better. It was like in that instant, my life, you know, improved like 
you know, it was like 10 years of incremental improvement in an instant. Not without some pain, (laughs) as you might imagine. There's another way, though, too, that that level of change can occur to you. And I think of this as the evolutionary method, and it's little by little by little. And it's just as effective, and you can't always count on the revelation, right? You can't always count on the clouds parting and the sunlight coming down just the right way, or the police car lights (laughs) flashing, or, or whatever it is. You can't always count on that. But what you can count on is your ability to incrementally change your thinking thought by thought, day by day, task by task. It can work for you. And my other example of that is simply public speaking. 20 years ago, I was deathly afraid to get up in front of people and speak. Now, you may find that difficult. For those of you that know anything about psychology, though, what is one of the top three fears that people have? It's right up there with the death of a loved one is fear of public speaking. And that was me about 15 years ago. And I still remember uh, being talked into a little bit going into ministry school. And I thought, well, I'll be fine until we get up to the homiletics class. And that's where they begin to teach you how to actually do a sermon and how to write one and how to deliver one and how not to be dreadfully boring anyway. (laughs) And uh, well, they can teach you that, I swear. Yeah, (laughs) go follow some rules. But I was mortified. I I mean, just literally to get up and do my first five-minute talk, I was mortified. And so the teacher could sense it. She was, you know, amazing and smart. And so she pulled me aside, and she said, there are a few things, if you're serious about being a minister, if you're serious about public speaking, you have to want it bad, and you may have to put up with being afraid until you can work out all of the thoughts in your head that are making you be afraid. And the best place to start, let's start listing them. And right in class, in front of the other people, I had to list all of my beliefs about my speaking. I had to say that I wasn't happy with my speaking voice, that I thought I was boring when I spoke. I had to to say that I was so scared to be up there that I just, my impression was everyone would know that I shouldn't be up there, that I wasn't worthy of being up there. And I mean, we had, we had, (laughs) the blackboard was full of reasons (laughs) that I should be afraid of public speaking. And she said, well, she said, uh, I have good news and bad news. We can reverse all of this thinking and it could take some time. But thought by thought, I did what was necessary to say this isn't true. Your speaking voice is just, I had to listen to every, so so my assignment was to tape record every time I got up in front of people and then I had to listen to it and say exactly what I thought was right with it or wrong with it correct the things that I actually thought was wrong with it, and begin praising myself, oh, (laughs) for the things that didn't sound so bad. (laughs) If you are committed to doing what is necessary, you absolutely can and will turn your lives around. I have no doubt of it. I've seen it both in its revolutionary stage and I've seen it in the incremental step by step, meditation by meditation, prayer by prayer. They're both equally effective 
you are worth the changes that are necessary. And I guess that's where I want to sort of leave us today. If there is anyone here that wants to experience a better life, that's where you start. You start by knowing that you're worthy of it. You start by having an idea of what it would be like. Now, sometimes even that has to be incremental, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard to imagine a, a most wonderful and, and enthralling new job when maybe you've had a string of kind of rotten jobs. Maybe it's hard to imagine what it would be like to be with someone that you love and that loves you in a, in a, in a very natural and uncomplicated way when all of your relationships have been the most complicated relationships on the planet. I get that, and you're worth it. You are worth having those things. Whether it's an incremental movement towards them, dispelling doubts and beliefs step by step along the way, or whether it's waiting until the pain gets so painful that you have that revolution that the equivalent of the, of the police are at your door saying, hello, I'm the two by four, wham, <laughs> right? right? It's like, when do people make some of their best life changes? When they're in the hospital. <laughs> but what I know is that we don't have to go to that length. That the changes themselves can be easy and comfortable and joyous, and each one of us has within ourselves the capability of making those mental changes. Okay, wow, now I'm starting to sound like I'm lecturing, so I think it's probably time to move on to something else. What I want to close with today is a, a final word from Ernest Holmes, and this is how he closes this chapter um, and, and ends up the first four chapters of The Science of Mind. He says, a new light is coming into the world. We're on the borderland of a new global experience. The veil between spirit and matter is very thin, the invisible is passing into visibility through our faith in it. This is in line with the evolution of the great presence and the world itself, and nothing, nothing shall hinder its progress. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love, one joy. There is only this one thing that I call God, but regardless of what you choose to call it, what I know is that it is always creating the universe out of itself. And it uses as its template the very thoughts and feelings that I have in my mind. That, that as I think about joy and love and peace and happiness, it's like a magnet drawing to me my experiences of those same things. My, my heart opens wide and I'm ready to, to notice and experience life's small gifts and pleasures and sweetnesses. And correspondingly, if I, if I allow my mind to drift over and worry about McDonald's french fries too much, what I know is that I'll experience more of that feeling of, of betrayal and outrage. And so on this day, I make a choice. I know I won't be perfect at it, but that doesn't matter. Today, I make a choice to affirm and fulfill in my own mind that message of love and light of joy and peace, of abundance, of the, of the sweet world that is way more than half filled with the loving kindness of the universe. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has the choice. Victimhood, that's one choice. 
But each person here has another choice. Each person here has that ability to look within their own heart and say, yes, I have done this so far, and I will choose differently this time. And my life is to be glorious. And so I'm grateful for this, just grateful for this raw potential, grateful for God showing up in this room as the hearts and the hands and the minds of the people in it. And so I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thanks so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.